0: Let me uh, read, uh, well, I'll just read through the whole 15 verses here. Uh, Don't have a problem with reading Scripture. What do you think, huh? Okay. So let's start, and then uh, we'll open in prayer. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, "It would be it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God uh, about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of uh, preaching ministry." The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them uh, stand before the apostles uh, who prayed and laid their hands on them, so the preaching about God flourished. And the number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from uh, what is called the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and disputed with Stephen, But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came and dragged him off and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses. Who said, This man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against the holy place and the law, for we heard him say that Jesus, this uh, Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. (coughs) And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you again for your love and care for us. We recognize, Lord, that in putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only, the work that He has completed, you've given to us eternal life, you have uh, baptized us into the body of Christ, you've sealed us there until the day of redemption, you've put your Spirit within us, we have now become part of this community. And with that, we find that because of everybody else, life is difficult, when in reality, this is what you have designed and brought forth so that we might become more like Christ. So as we consider our topic this evening, uh, that we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and that we might see maybe areas where we have failed, maybe where we need to do better, so that truly the community that uh, the Bible talks about would be the truth about us. Father, we do think of those that uh, are in need Uh, in a variety of ways. And Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us in your word this evening. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So notice number one on your outlines, the need for community. Uh, Right off the bat, we see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, there was a problem. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So, church growth. Who wants the church to grow? A lot of people do. Um, A lot of churches have put in a lot of energy to doing everything they can to get more people into the church. Not necessarily saved people, And if they're not saved, we we don't want to offend them because they might leave. Um, We need to have the right kind of music. We need to not talk about sin. See, church growth is a pretty important thing. Now, when you get down to the brass tacks as to why it's so important, uh, the reality is, is God made man and woman. And he told them, be fruitful, multiply, right? That's physical realm type stuff. Obviously, there's a whole lot more in in, in it than just the physical, but, uh, he saves us and puts it within us to be fruitful to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, to uh, consecrate the Lord God in our hearts so that and live in such a way that when people ask you, why do you have this hope in you, you're ready to give a response. What's that all about but to help them come to the light? Okay? So we're going to spiritually reproduce. That's at least the hope. Uh, Don't know about you. I have been saved for 41 years. I have witnessed to a lot of people over the years. Um, There were probably times in my life where maybe my life didn't give the credibility to the message that it should have. understand that. Uh, But I have witnessed to a lot of people as a pastor. And I find... That uh, not a lot of people seem to want it. Now, that's what I find. We get Bob Vanden Bosch here. He talks to all kinds of people, and everybody wants to get saved. What's with that? Gifting. Okay? God is the one that saves people. We plant the word, we sow the seed, we might water. And we may not know anything after that, and someone else may come along, and they want her to get saved. I remember down in Brazil, one of the pastors, national pastor, asked me to come and speak to a family. They had been coming to his church for a little while, and uh, he couldn't seem to get through them uh, the gospel. So, okay, fine. It's kind of like, you're, you're a Brazilian. They're Brazilians. If anyone can talk to them, you can. Me and my broken Portuguese, okay, I'll go. So I go and I go through the Romans road with them and they've got their Bibles open and I share the gospel with them. And at the end of the night, they go, we didn't understand what he was saying. (laughs) Probably because of uh, uh, speaking uh, Portuguese with an American accent. Uh, They didn't catch a whole lot of what I said. You know, two weeks later, they got saved. You just want to go slap that pastor upside the head. (laughs) But I I, I have no idea if I was a planter, a water, had absolutely nothing to do with it. But God puts it within us that we want to see uh, fruitfulness. okay? And part of that fruitfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. Part of it is seeing other people come to know Him. And so church growth is a pretty important thing. But with church growth comes... Difficulties. Okay, in this particular case, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there's the church growth. The uh, ease of remembering your own and forgetting others. Here's the problem there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were the Greek, uh, the Jews that were Grecianized. For those of you that are a little bit older, Alexander the Great conquers the world in about 300 B.C., recognizes that if you're going to keep this thing under control, everyone needs to have the same language and the same culture. Hmm. Think about uh, the immigration issues in uh, in in our country and today. Same language, same culture helps keep it all unified and under control. So Alexander the Great Grecianized the world, and nobody had gray hair after that. There's a couple of old people because they remember the Grecian Formula 44, (laughs) but uh, uh, he basically made everybody take on the Greek language, Greek culture. The Jewish people were some of the ones that said, ain't got time for that, except for those that maybe lived outside of Israel or outside of uh, Judah. Um, they kind of took it on, and so they're the Hellenistic Greeks or Hellenistic Jews and the uh, the regular Jews as they're handing uh, out, they're distributing to the widows and the uh, the poor. Uh, they're saying, "Hey, he go over give use." Oh, there's Sam, and they kind of miss someone that they don't know who they are. Now, I remember years ago, a uh, few people complained that. Edgemont was very cliquish, and I recently heard from someone that's just started coming to the church that Edgemont is very cliquish, and I'm sitting there going, oh no, they ain't. Okay, what's a clique? A group of people hang together. You want to know something? If that's the definition, Edgemont is cliquish. A lot of people have been here for a long time and they, they know, they have things in common with certain groups of people and they hang out with those people. Dave and I hang out, okay? Uh, what, what, what do we have in common? We mow the lawn. <laughs> okay, there, there, there's more than that, but that's one of those things that we have in common. Uh, now, if I want to talk to someone about carpentry, Dave knows a little bit about carpentry, if he wants to talk to someone about mechanics, he goes and finds somebody else to talk to. I mean, I know a little bit, but not enough worth talking. He'll tell me stuff, and it's kind of like, what'd that do? <laughs> you know? uh, but to have things in common and talk to other people is not what I would consider a click. A click is when you've got whatever that common ground may be, and now we're exclusive. You are not allowed to enter my group. Okay. In the past, yeah, I would say that, uh, and it wasn't intentional, it's just everybody gets caught up in their own lives and they forgot to, uh, forget to look around. And uh, a lot of things have changed since I've been back from Brazil, and I think for the most part, we're becoming much more friendly when it comes to new people in the church. Uh, one family, pastor, wanted to get down here and talk to him, and... Uh, Introduce himself, and by the time he got there, he, the, he goes, Hey, can we do anything for you? No, no, no. Your people, I mean, I think we tackled them on the way in the door. Four or five people were doing everything they could to help them feel comfortable here. And they've continued to come, so maybe we got it right, you know. <laughs> but the whole point being is it's very easy to get caught up in the people you know and kind of forget that, oh, there's a new face, Maybe someone should go talk to them. Yeah, maybe somebody else should. No, 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 no. Maybe you should, you know. Uh, so that, that's one of the problems they ran into. Um, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Again, the church was growing. You know the people. Uh, you're taking care of those people. And you don't know those people. You're thinking someone else is going to be taking care of them. And before you know it, they're neglected. So that brings us to verse 2. A possible secondary problem. Uh, Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Very often when people are presented with a problem, wives, am I not telling the truth here? When people are presented with a problem, very often, those that might be considered to be the leader, they want to give a solution. They want to be the solution, okay? And very often when wives are talking to husbands, they're not really interested in a solution. They just want someone to talk to. Is that not true? But what do men do anyway? I mean, how many times have they heard they don't necessarily want a solution? They just want someone to, yeah, you want to fix it. Uh, There's a a meme going around where, oh, yeah, I love my wife. Uh, I love her so much I'm going to come home and listen to her stories. And there's not going to be a beginning, and there's not going to be an end, and she's going to be introducing new characters, and I am not going to offer a solution, even though there's an obvious one. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, that, that's, uh, we, we men need to learn to just listen sometimes and let her say what she's got to say. But again, the natural tendency, we're going to move in with that solution, right? Well, notice uh, in our notes here, the tendencies of normal leadership, they're either going to jump in and do it, or they're going to ignore and let them figure it out. I know some of the people at Edgemont, people, uh, Edgemont Bible Church think that uh, the leadership ignores some of the issues, uh, some of the perceived issues. Can I tell you something? For the most part, I don't find that to be the case. Um, recently, someone was talking to me about the possibility of a young couple's Sunday school class. How come you guys don't have one? Because no one said they wanted one. Well, you got lots of young couples here. Yeah, and every time we as the leadership express the need to have something, it flops. But when people see the need within the congregation and they're willing to do something about it, boom, it goes gangbusters. So we're not ignoring, we just know that sometimes we're not the ones to fix it. Okay, And so uh, just letting you know, normal tendency, jump in and do it or ignore and let them figure it out. So what do they do? Well, they delegate. I believe I have the spiritual gift of delegation. It's not found in any of the lists of the Bible, but if you tell me that something needs to be done, I'm going to find someone else to do it. Uh, (laughs) Um, So they they call some of the disciples and then they, uh, through what they're saying here, they're prioritizing our job. It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God. What's the alternative? To go and serve tables. Okay? As the leadership, we should be studying the Word, preaching the Word, teaching the Word, and someone else needs to pick up the slack when it comes to serving tables. So that was the need, uh, but it wasn't the uh, the uh, apostles' job to uh, meet that need. That brings us to letter C, a solution in verses 3 to 7. So the work of the ministry... What is the pastor's job? To equip the saints for the work of the ministries. That's why I titled it this way. Uh, Notice, the people find those that will serve. Um, Every now and again, you'll see someone up here saying, hey, we need some help with, and they'll give you whatever the class is. You know how successful that is in finding people to serve? It's almost a big fat zero. And Now and again, you'll find Someone that, oh, I didn't know about that, and they'll, they'll go over and talk to whoever. But usually, you have to chase people down, tackle them, tie them to a chair, and talk them into ministering. Well, maybe it's not quite that bad, but you do need to normally talk to people face-to-face and see if they've got time in their schedule to be a part of the work. So basically, the apostles have told these disciples, find those that will serve. And we're going to give you some guidelines in solving this problem. And therefore, they give them qualifications for those that will serve. What are those qualifications? Well, let's look at uh, verse Uh, Three or four, I believe it is. Uh, No, three. he says, find seven men uh, uh, of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to do the job. Okay? So what's important here? They've got to have a good reputation. They have to be filled with the Spirit and full of wisdom. Now, these are guys that are going to be waiting on tables, distributing the needs to the poor. Okay, to the needs of the poor. We're not talking about people that are going to be teaching Sunday school classes or anything like that. Now, why is that important? Because I want you to see that your reputation, how other people perceive you, and the need to walk in the power of the Spirit and in the wisdom of God is important regardless of what you're going to be doing. Now, why is that important? Because Well, we understand the pastors, they need to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, we're going to look at a list of qualifications for pastors and deacons, and it's kind of like, wow, I'm glad they need to fulfill those. And I want you to understand something. Every Christian is supposed to be able to fulfill those, not just pastors, OK, so here's guys that are waiting on table and they've got qualifications. And then notice that last part, the appointment from the leaders. Uh, ultimately, uh, you're going to find the people and we're going to before everybody say, yeah, these are the ones that are going to do it. <clears throat> There's a reason for that, because if pastor announces something from the pulpit, you know how quick it gets acted on? Uh, don't ask him because he'll say, never but that's not true. <laughs> if other people make the same announcement from the pulpit, there's hardly ever a movement. But when pastor talks about something where there's a need, boom, bunch of people get involved. Why? Because he's the leader. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's what these people are doing. They're, they're letting everybody know, hey, these are the guys. They've got our approval, okay? So that brings us to number two. The reason for the people to be the solution, verse four, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Uh, if you see something that needs to be done at the church, very often instead of telling someone else about it, find out who might help you get it done. Why? Why? Because chances are the people you're going to tell are busy serving, especially if it's pastor, myself, Dave, we're already involved in a multitude of things. I remember years ago before I went to Brazil, I was a youth pastor here, and uh, the desire was to get about nine couples helping out with the youth group, uh, take place of the youth pastor. Why? Uh, Because our desire is to see the heart of the children uh, go towards the parents and the parents towards the kids, not towards some young guy that can make them laugh and uh, sing the right kinds of songs and stuff like that. And so we wanted to get the parents involved. So we had a meeting with the parents and I basically listed off all the things I did on a regular basis working with the youth. I I had... uh, through study and research, found that, you know, the best way to get young people involved in things is by giving them the leadership, kind of like what we're talking about right here. Instead of me saying, hey, let's go jump out of a perfectly good airplane, I let them decide that that was a good thing to do because I knew if they wanted to do it, they were going to be involved. If I suggested it, they'd all sat there and said, see ya. By the way, we never did jump out of a perfectly good airplane, (laughs) just saying. (laughs) But as I'm explaining to the parents all the things that we had been doing, one of the parents came to me and said, I need to ask your forgiveness. I said, why? As far as I know, you haven't done anything. He goes, I was wondering what on earth we were paying you for because you weren't giving my son enough attention. Kind of like... Your son is the only one in the youth group. You know, that would have been my response if I could have said something. But it's kind of like, uh, I know that not everybody knows everything that the pastors are doing. But I promise you, we keep ourselves busy. Yes? I mean, sometimes it's sleeping. No, that's Dave. (laughs) Uh pastor uh, went to a class last week where he learned how to train people in the area of first aid, CPR, AED, and I asked if we could use Dave as the practice dummy. Uh, so, you know, we, we pick on each other quite... Well, actually, we pick on Dave quite a bit. <laughs> so, but the uh, ho- whole point being is Pastors should be involved in the studying of the Scripture and being prepared to teach it uh, because uh, that's their job. So therefore, the need, the reason for people to be in the solution. Number three, the commissioning. In verses 5 and 6, uh, let me go ahead and read it real quick for you. Uh, The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen and all those other guys, and uh, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So people having responsibility for the work is pleasing to the people. When they got to put in their two cents into this thing, it was a good thing as far as they were concerned. Um, They chose seven, and we can talk about uh, each one of those guys uh, another time, not necessary for tonight. Uh, And then the association with the leadership, uh, they came, uh, the apostles laid hands on them and prayed for them. Now, when we have a, uh, uh, a vote on new deacons this fall, Uh, One of the things we're going to do is have those guys come to the front and the elders are going to lay their hands on them and pray for them uh, because, well, there's our example, okay? And if we were going to um, bring in another elder, we'd probably be doing exactly the same thing uh, because we want everyone to know we're associating ourselves with this person, And we're looking to God to use them and allow them to have a profitable ministry. So that brings us to number four, verse seven, the result. Well, here's a three-part result. The word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, I don't know about you, but they already had problems because of church growth, and what happened? They uh, solved the problems by people being involved, and then they had more church growth. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's the pattern we ought to consider. Something to consider, okay? Okay, that brings us to not just servants. Number two, verses 8 to 15. In verses eight to ten, we see that, uh, as far as uh, Stephen, the work that he was going to be involved in he it was more than just serving tables. Uh, that was the initial reason why he was called into the ministry, if you will. But notice uh, he's standing out by faith in verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So he, he is shining. He's, he's standing out. Now, not for his own glory, but for the glory of God. And then, uh, verse 2, verses 9, I mean, number 2, verses 9 and 10, you can't argue with God. When someone has studied the scripture and they're saved and they have the spirit of God in them and they and they learn to walk with Jesus, it is amazing what the spirit of God will do for you when you're talking to someone else about Jesus. Uh whether it be preaching from the pulpit or just witnessing, something that you read 6 months ago all of a sudden comes to your mind and you're giving an answer for the reason of the hope that you have in you and it's not that you're going to answer every question because not every question needs to be answered. Uh, Very often when you're talking to someone about Christ and the devil comes along and and wants to get in there, they will ask you questions that are just not that important. And sometimes you can just sit there and say, you know, uh, I, I have an answer for that, but right now that's not the most important thing that we're talking about. We're talking about your eternal soul. Someday you are going to die. And you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that will never happen. He'll never ask you, why should I let you into heaven? But what do you think you'd say if he did? You know, that's, that's how you get around something like that. It's not that you don't want to answer the question, but you can get caught up in the weeds talking about stuff that's not important but uh, when you're walking with God, uh, people cannot argue with God. So they weren't able to handle that whole thing. And that brings us to letter B, the framing of the godly. Uh, this actually leads into chapter 7, which I think Pastor's going to hit next week. Uh, when you can't argue with God, what should you do? You should lie. Okay? Uh, I, I, I put these in here because... I want you to see, again, methodology hasn't changed in 2,000 years, okay? Now, in, in no way do I think that Donald Trump is God or the next Savior or anything like that. But think about the methodology here. If you can't find something wrong with that guy, lie about him, right? Uh, let's let's go on and see some more. Stir up the mob, uh, If you knew the history of Donald Trump before he decided to run for president, you would never think that he was a racist. And yet, how many people still think he's a racist? Even with what he did for uh, Latinos and African Americans while he was president. Okay? Stir up the mob. Same thing going on. Uh, With everything that's going on right now... uh, here you got Biden shipping migrants all over the country and not telling the states about it. And so a couple of states decide they're going to do exactly the same thing, and we want to bring these guys up on charges for human trafficking. Stir up the mob. See what I'm saying? And if that doesn't work, letter A, tell CNN. Um, get some religious leaders and politicians involved. And, and if you go back and look at verse 12... That's Obviously, there's no CNN, but that's what they did. They 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 stirred up the mob, and they got some uh, religious leaders involved, which, by the way, at that time would have been the political leaders also. And so, number three, operate a kangaroo court, verses 13 to 15. A uh, kangaroo court is going to have false witnesses. It's going to have false testimony. It's going to look grimly at the defendant. Yeah, You ever notice how many uh, people that are on the left side of things don't ever seem to be happy? I mean, they're just angry, bitter people. Ah. But you see with uh, uh, Stephen, the power of peace. You know, whatever these people do to me, I'm okay. God's with me. Okay, now maybe that wasn't part of the lesson that I was supposed to bring forth, but uh, chapter six is a very short chapter, so I figured, well, we can talk about it because if we ever come to the place where we see some of these things happening, we might recognize that oh, nothing's changed. Okay, so that brings us to Titus chapter one. In in going through Titus chapter one. Um, We we saw these guys that were serving tables. We call them deacons. The word deacon is never used in uh, Acts chapter 6. But as the church grows, we do see the need, uh, if we're going to have good community, that there's going to be leadership. And so in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to see uh, the people that are going to be called elders or pastors and the people that are going to be called deacons. What, what uh, should they be like? Well, that brings us to the need for and qualification for elders. Notice God's design for leadership. <clears throat> Why was Titus left in Crete by Paul, according to Titus 1.5? For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Uh, Years ago, uh, when the Constitution was written, in order to have a a representative uh, government, you had to have the House of Representatives where people would vote on their representatives from their state. And those people would go and represent uh, the constituents of the state. Senators were not voted on. They were appointed by the state so that when they went, they were there on behalf of the state. And if they didn't do what the state wanted them to do, they would call them back and they'd put some other guys out there. That's how it was until 1913, yeah, where there was an amendment to the Constitution and they changed it. So now we have representatives in the House of Representatives and we have representatives in the Senate. It's all popular vote type stuff and I'm not sure anybody really cares about Uh, who they're representing or what they're supposed to be representing. So, uh, But uh, the reason why I say that is notice in chapter 1, verse 5, that Titus was appointing elders. Okay? You ever notice how we don't vote on elders at Edgemont Bible Church? Yeah, uh, these these are appointments. They're they're not meant to be a popular vote type thing. Uh, They're to be screened and determine that they meet the qualifications, and then they're appointed by the leadership. Okay? Uh, So there's two words that are used for elder. Uh, One is presbyteros. It means older, a senior. An Israelite, Sanhedrin, figuratively a member of the uh, Celestial Council, or a Christian presbyter, an elder, or old. So many of us would fit into this category. As far as the general meaning of the word, older, okay. And then there is, oh my, oh the word for a point. There is cathistemi to place down permanently, to designate, constitute, convoy, appoint, be uh, conduct or conduct, uh, make, ordain, or set. Uh, again, I've basically hit that point already. So uh, that's the word for uh, elder there. Pres- um, the good work to be desired. In uh, Titus, we see that elders to be appointed. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, notice it says, this is a faithful saying: if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. The word a word for bishop there is episkopos. He's a superintendent a Christian officer in the degenerative case in charge of, or uh, the church, a bishop or an overseer. That's basically talking about the kind of work you'll be doing. And the word for uh, desires there is oregomai. That is close to oregano, but uh, not quite. Um, to stretch oneself, to reach out after, to covet after or desire. So within the appointment of elders... We don't pick someone that doesn't want to be, okay? They, they desire to be an elder. They desire to be an overseer. And then, of course, notice the words in the, number three. The words for uh, the leaders here are used of the same men in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. Uh, In those two verses, you're going to see one time they use presbyteros, another time they use episkopos. Uh, They're talking about the same guys, so it's the same job, uh, being an elder. That brings us to the qualifications in verses 6 to 9. Now, instead of reading the Scripture, I've kind of listed this all out for you and uh, show the contrast between uh, Titus uh, 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Sometimes they're in both, sometimes they're a little bit different. So the first qualification is, in order to be an elder or a presbyteros or a episkopos, uh, one must be blameless. Okay, That means, uh, some of your Bibles say above reproach, it means to be unaccused. Irreproachable, blameless, not arrested, unblameable. The idea is there's nothing outstanding in this person's life that someone can point the finger at and say, look what he did. Okay? Uh, noticed, um, not arrested. He hasn't done something that someone can point at and therefore conclude. Uh, this uh, same word is repeated in verse 7 of chapter 1, as well as in 1 Timothy 3.2a. Uh, second qualification, he is the husband of one wife. This is found in verse 6 here, as well as 1 Timothy 3.2b. To be the husband of one wife means, this is the literal translation of it, a one-woman man. Now notice, in saying this, he is not, he, he's dealing with the concept of proven faithfulness. He is not dealing with, he must be married. He's not dealing with, can't be divorced. He's not talking about a widower or any of those things. He's talking about someone who is, has proven faithfulness to the wife that he is with. Now the reason why I want you to see that is because uh, someone may have made a, a foolish choice when they were 19 years old, and their marriage lasted six months, or in the case of Britney Spears, 55 hours, and (laughs) life went on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And then later in life, they get married to uh, someone, and they're married for 25 years. Some churches would say that person could not be an elder. They've been faithful to one woman for 25 years. They're a one-woman man. Okay. Uh that that's the point of uh the wording there. It does not mean that he can only ever have uh one wife. And believe me, there are some that uh some churches that believe that not only can he only have one wife, but if she dies he can't remarry, which is really kind of silly when you think about what the Bible says about widows. If she's under 60, tell her to go out and get married and have kids and uh, wow. <laughs> so, uh whole point being is uh Sometimes Christians don't really think things through. And so therefore, that's what it means. It deals more with a man's sexual purity. Uh, That's the idea of proven faithfulness. Number three, one who rules his own house well. Verse 6 and 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. Um, Verse 6 says that he has faithful children. Uh, John MacArthur makes a large argument for saved kids. I struggle with that a little bit. I understand what the rest of it's saying, but I struggle with the idea of him having to be saved because can you have a young pastor then? You'd, you'd have to think he'd have to be older, and maybe that's not a bad thing. Okay, so I'm not saying that it doesn't mean save kids. I'm just saying I, I kind of struggle with that one a little bit. Um, not accuse, These children cannot be accused of dissipation. The word dissipation basically means excess or riot, translated uh, drunken revelry in other places. Uh, so the idea is they're not given to excess, and they're not insubordinate. Okay, uh, they're not unruly. All right. Uh, And then uh, notice in, uh, it says, having his children in submission with all reverence. So the uh, the word uh, talks about any age group, but it's expecting that they're going to be a little bit older, probably closer to marriageable age, um, just because uh, they got to get saved. (laughs) So you got to give them time to get saved, that kind of thing. And of course, if they're going to be involved in drunken revelry, they sure better not be doing it when they're three. (laughs) That's why I say I think they're going to be a little bit older at that point. But if if they are, then the guy shouldn't be a pastor. Um, Notice, having his children in submission with all reverence, that doesn't mean the occasional... Uh, frustration, they, they do something that they shouldn't do or anything like that, but this is a, basically a way of life. And then letter C is uh, from 1 Timothy, for if a man uh, does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That's really the issue there. Look, here you have these people that are close to you, and if you can't reach them with the truth, how are you going to be able to handle all those people that aren't so close to you? That kind of a thing. So that brings us to number four, bishop must be blameless. Now this is a repeat from verse 6, and it's in verse 7. So two times in two verses, what do you think that means? Pretty important. Okay, in this particular case, it's actually imperative. It's in the command form. Okay, now he goes on to say, as a steward of God. The word steward there basically means overseer or manager of another's household. Uh, Whenever my mother-in-law comes into town, uh, she tries to become the overseer of our household, changes the drawer where the silverware is to where she thinks it ought to be. Uh, she has done that in the past. She hasn't been in our house for a while. And and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a good thing either. <laughs> wow, I'm digging the hole, right? Uh, no, she just hasn't been out here in a while. But uh, I, I remember one year she came and visited us, and she did. She moved the silverware from this drawer to this drawer. It's kind of like, you are not the steward of this home. Cut it out. I couldn't find the silverware. <laughs> but... Uh, Uh, That's the idea there. They're an overseer of someone else's household. So what he must be as a steward of God, not self-willed. Basically, he's not arrogant and he's not all about himself, self-interest. Okay? He's not quick-tempered. And the idea here is a propensity to anger. Uh, I remember when I was younger, boy, not only was the fuse short, but it was short every single time. Okay, Uh, I would not have been a good candidate to be an elder at that time. Not given to wine. Uh, The uh, word given here is to be continually alongside of, or if you will, addicted. So he's not going to have a problem with alcohol. He is not to be violent, pugnacious, a fist fighter, forceful to get one's way. Yeah, slap him upside the head. As pastor, that's what I say all the time. Uh, That is not the uh, attitude you ought to have as a pastor. And I have not slapped anybody upside the head in a long time, so uh, we're doing okay. (laughs) Um, Not greedy for money. He's not covetous. Uh, Those are uh, the words used in both uh, passages. Um, This is the idea of seeking wealth at any cost. Now, we're not talking about someone who has a side job. We're talking about someone that is willing to do the underhanded stuff to get that money. Okay, That's the idea of any cost. He's not quarrelsome. He is reluctant to fight. He's basically peaceful. And he's not a novice, uh, lest, being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil, 1 Timothy 3.6. A novice, someone that's new at it. Uh, Someone who's young, they don't understand things, uh, that guy should not be an elder. What he must be, verse 8, temperate. Uh, The idea of temperate here is watchful or vigilant. uh, And it's also found in 1 Timothy 3, 2b. He should be hospitable, uh, giving practical help to those in need. Don't know if you saw it, but you might talk to Janetta if you're interested in helping. The Cumberlands are in need of a few meals. And she puts that uh, Need a Meal out there on Facebook, but some of you aren't on that. So if you'd like to help, talk to Rick's wife in the back. They may all be taken care of, I'm just saying. Okay? Uh, Giving practical help to those in need. A lover of what is good. And this is basically having a strong affection toward good. Um, of good behavior. This is the idea of being respectable and an orderly life. Don't look in my garage, so, right, Pastor? <laughs> Sober-minded. Uh, the definition here is prudent or a saved mind, sensible, of sound mind. That's in First Timothy three two b. Also, he should be just. The idea is he's doing what is proper or right, holy, true to divine direction and purpose. When you're concerned with what God wants, not just whatever's going on around you. Self-controlled. And again, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, so by the power of the Spirit, he lives what he teaches. Okay? And gentle. In other words, considerate, Congenial, forbearing, 1 Timothy 3 3. And he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil, 1 Timothy 3 7. There was a pastor recently down in Texas, and I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. You might know who I'm talking about when I bring it to your attention. But basically, uh, as he was putting things out there on social media, one woman was uh, messaging him many times, and he answered her messages. Uh, Someone in the church came to him and said, I don't think it's right that you're messaging this woman uh, all the time like that. And so he immediately got together all of the messages, brought them to his elders, and said, I have been uh you know confronted about this situation, I want you to take a look at it. There was nothing uh, immoral, immodest, uh, you know sensual or anything like that. They were basically just talking about things on social media and um, the elder's elders felt as though because this was a pretty uh, continuous activity, though the pastor 's wife knew about it and the woman 's husband knew about it. For them, it was just conversations with people they know, okay? The elders felt as though it would be good for him to step down for a little while, kind of get things in order again, and then be able to come back. Again, he didn't do anything wrong, maybe not wise. Maybe that lack of wisdom could have led him into something wrong. Um, And the reason why I say that is because he must have a good testimony, Okay. Someone saw this as a problem. The elders thought, "Well, if someone sees it as a problem, we probably need some time to deal with these kinds of things." And uh, he's not out of the pulpit, but he is not speaking at that church for a period of time. Let's say a leave of absence. Okay. Uh, Not 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 a bad idea. OK, um, but that's that's an important thing that brings us to his job. Well, what is he supposed to be doing? He's supposed to be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Now, one of the wonderful things about being a pastor is as you as you get to study the word, it's one thing to learn it in school. It's another thing to be studying it for yourself and preparing messages. And then all of a sudden, Spirit of God kind of opens your eyes and your mind to all kinds of things that you were never taught. Or maybe it opens your eyes to concepts that I was taught that and the way I'm seeing it, I'm not sure I agree with them anymore. That's not a bad thing, but you've got to have good reason for it. Every now and again, pastor comes in and says, I've got an idea. I've never heard anybody else teach it. And I said, heresy. Heresy. (laughs) <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, usually, if you have never heard anybody else teach it before, you might want to go back and look at it again. And he did. And then he taught it anyway because I agreed with him. Um, so just saying. <laughs> so he's supposed to be holding fast the faithful word. This is his primary ministry. And the word hold fast there is a tekomai <clears throat> to hold oneself opposite to, adhere to, to care for, hold fast, hold to, support. And of course, 1 Timothy three two says he should be able to teach. Okay? Now we have uh, a few elders, and um, Larry, every now and again, uh, says, hey, uh, you got a Sunday night free? I'd like to talk about Star Trek. No, uh, you know, last one he did was the video about uh, the distance between stars and stuff like that. Just helping us remember that nature declares the glory of God. Uh, that's where he likes to, uh, you know, talk about things. But he works with uh, some of the kids in Sunday school, stuff like that. Jeff Null, he teaches a Bible study. Um, Wayne Cormier, he teaches in a variety of uh, places, Uh, both online to international people, as well as the men's Bible study on uh, Friday morning. Um, So whole point being is he should be able to teach. Notice uh, letter A, by sound doctrine, in other words, healthy. The word sound there is, uh, it's a Greek word where we get hygiene, okay? And so the idea is it's clean. Okay, by clean doctrine, he is able to deal with those who contradict. The idea of contradicting is to dispute, refuse, answer again, contradict, deny, gainsayer, speak against. So, who's he going to be talking to? You would think from that description that he's going to be talking to unbelievers. And obviously, some are going to be unbelievers. But I want you to think about it with me for just a minute. When we have a sinful habit that we haven't overcome yet, are we not contradictory to sound doctrine? Ah, so might he be talking to believers? Yeah, maybe they're not in outright rebellion, but they still got that thing going on in their lives that isn't in line with sound doctrine. So he's going to be teaching in such a way that through sound doctrine, he might be able to both exhort The word exhort there, to call near, uh, to invite, to invoke, to beseech, to call for, to comfort, to uh, exhort, uh, to entreat, or to pray, and convict. The word there, to confute, admonish. The word admonish basically means warn. Okay? Um, When I'm talking to young men, very often, uh, we will deal with the concept of pornography. Why? Why? Been there, done that, okay? Lust is a horrible taskmaster. And you think, well, I'm only doing this. Yep, until it's got you, and then you're doing stuff that you'd have thought you'd have never done. Uh Uh-huh. So dealing with young men, trying to help them understand, don't get started, okay? So warning them. If you get started, this is the kinds of things that comes about because of that kind of thing. So by sound doctrine, uh, be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. The need. Why, why do we need pastors and elders and stuff like that? In Titus 1, 10 through 16, the need is great because of false teachers. It says there are many insubordinate. And then he describes those insubordinate by calling them idle talkers and deceivers, especially, now this is Paul's day, especially those of the circumcision. Can I tell you that very often the false teachers are especially those of the quote-unquote church, okay? Uh, I don't know how many evangelical-type Christians, our kind of Christian, gets upset when we talk about Catholic doctrine, because they have a Catholic relative or a friend, they, they want to say, well, this person's a Christian. They might be. And that's why we don't talk about Catholics. We talk about Catholic doctrine. Because Catholic doctrine, some of it's right on. We agree with it. And then there's the rest of it that is heretical. It's wrong. It will lead people to hell. And who gets upset the most about that? Christians. Not necessarily Catholics, because they're not listening. But you know who doesn't get upset? Catholics that have been saved and now they know the truth. They sit there and say, yeah, preach it. It's, it's kind of funny how that whole thing works. But there's lots of false teachers out there. Notice number two, whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not. And why? For the sake of dishonest gain. Remember one of the Uh, qualifications. He's not after filthy lucre. He's not desiring money. He's not willing to do all... Check out most of your false teachers. They're in the wealth and health movement. Okay? Send us $10. We'll pray for you. Uh, That kind of a thing. Um, The guy down in Oklahoma, he saw a 900-foot Jesus pick the hospital up and... uh, he said, I can take care of this. Now, you go out and get a million dollars in the next 30 days or else the devil's going to get you. Kind of, you. know, It's kind of like, that's really strange for Jesus to say to someone who claims to be one of Jesus's, the devil's going to get him. And mind you, a friend came along and donated a, a very large part of that million dollars about day 29 because he didn't get all that money. And he was afraid that he was going to end up living and everybody know he was a false teacher. <laughs> so uh, that happened years ago back in the 80s. Uh, just saying. Okay, so it was back in the 80s. Yeah, it was, it was a while back. <laughs> so that brings us to the next passage in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, the qualifications for deacons. Notice he says, likewise deacons. So these are still qualifications. And then he tells us what they must be. They must be reverent. The idea is serious in mind and character, uh, not double-tongued. The idea of being double-tongued is when I talk to Gordon about Dave, I go, you know, Dave is really, I I don't even know why we waste our time with him. And then I come to Dave and say, oh, Dave, you're so wonderful. That would be double-tongued. Hypocritical, if you will. Uh, Some people think it means uh, a gossip it can in, uh, include that uh, not given to much wine. Now, if we go back and look at the uh, elders, they're not given to wine. Uh, deacons apparently can be given to a little bit more because it's not given to much wine. <laughs> I said that one time from uh, the pulpit on Sunday morning, and Kathy Lynn, uh, you, uh, you've all heard her laugh, right? She's got a good laugh, but. Uh, So, uh, yeah, um, not given to much wine to basically to turn one's mind to or to occupy oneself with. So uh, the idea is it isn't about the wine bottle for them. Uh, They're not greedy for money. Since they would be distributing money to widows, orphans, and others in need, they shouldn't be like Judas. What do we know about Judas? He was actually pilfering from the money box. And then husbands of one wife, again, a one-woman man, ruling their children and their own houses well. Again, your testimony here uh, gives credibility to your ministry there. It's true for all of us, but deacons and elders, again, must have this in line. And then their spiritual life. And again, we're talking about deacons, the guys that are supposed to be waiting on tables, Right. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Living what they say they believe. That's basically what that means. But let these also first be tested. Again, like an elder, not a novice. The, uh, the guy that's going to be a deacon, he ought to be tested. Why? So that you can approve or allow or discern or examine the guy. And he should be found blameless. Blameless. Once again, that same word where there's nothing that can be, the finger can be pointed at them about, okay? It's interesting, whenever we do the uh, new deacons' uh, November annual meeting, uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving, I think the wives purposely vote no for the, the guys that are going to be deacons, because there's always one no vote. I don't know if they know what the guys are in for, or they just don't want them to get a big head or what, but uh, there's always one no vote. I don't know. And then it goes, and then let them serve as deacons. Let her B, the why. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves, number one, a good standing. The word bathmos means a step, a grade of dignity, a degree. Uh, basically, they're put on a pedestal. Now, I don't know if any of our deacons feel as though they're put on a pedestal. Uh, maybe because we kind of all know that we all put our pants on one leg at a time and all that kind of stuff around here. Uh, but that's the idea. They're they're elevated, okay? Um, they obtain for themselves great boldness. The word here is par Parecia out of uh, all outspokenness—that is, frankness, bluntness, publicity, assurance, boldly, boldness, uh, boldness of speech, confidence. You know, when you're serving God, the more you serve God, the more you're confident to do the things that He's called you to do. That's just how things go, and uh, they gain this. Obtain for themselves as good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus, or if you will, in the sphere of Christian truth and the family of believers. Now, if you continue to read 1 Timothy 3, you're going to see in verse 11 that uh, it speaks to the wives of deacons, depending on your version. Some of them just say women, okay? Uh, the reason why I didn't touch on that is because uh, the wives of deacons are not holding an office or women are not, quote-unquote, holding an office. There are plenty of places in the Bible where we see women serving. They're even called deaconesses. Now, the reason is because they're serving. The word deacon means servant, okay? So if you're going to have a female servant, she's going to be a deaconess, It's not an office. Otherwise, we might see it in this passage. But again, the whole point of all of these uh, passages here is to help us see that the church is a community. And we need to be uh, organized to the point, not to the point where, okay, we're going to time out this song. This one's going to take three minutes and 41 seconds. At which point, Pastor, you're allowed 30 seconds to pray. And then the next song, not, not that kind of orderly. There's got to be leadership. There's got to be people that uh, are accountable to God for what goes on, and God is the one that set up overseers. Okay, uh, guys might want to be overseers, and we might uh, examine them and say, "Yeah, you're not quite ready yet." Uh, guys may uh, we we've had people come in. They say, "Well, I want to be a deacon." Here, hand out bulletins. It's amazing how many of them don't want to hand out bulletins. They want to be a deacon. W- what's the difference? They're both serving. Uh, When we're looking for deacons on the next board, uh, we're looking for guys that are already involved in doing something. We're also trying to be careful to be looking for guys that aren't doing so many things they don't need one more thing to be doing. The whole point being is uh, the church needs that. The community needs that. And uh, you all ought to understand that that's straight from the Word of God. Any questions or thoughts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Talking about the role, uh, role of men and women, uh, women being submissive, he said he didn't write the letter, he just mailed it. Uh, uh, the reality is, is the more we study that passage of submitting yourselves one to another, and then here's how women do it, and here's how men submit to their wives... All of a sudden you realize, hmm, it's not like uh, they thought it was back in the whatever golden era it was. Uh, n- not that there isn't some principles to follow there, but uh, yeah, there's there's equal submission there, mutual submission there. Okay, well, um, let me close in prayer and we'll let you go.